Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm so glad that you are here, and if you're watching online, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I want to say thank you to the praise team. Didn't they do an excellent job today? I believe they always do a great job in in bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Uh, I want to talk to you a a little bit today about a, a tale of two blessings. I know this, this last week has been a, l- a lot of fun, hasn't it? And uh, I, the election's over, I think. Uh, I think one person said it the best. They said, it feels like we're kind of in divorce court, kind of waiting to see, let the judge see who's, who's going to get us. Uh, you know? Uh, but here, here's the thing. The good thing is the Lord's in charge. And, and it doesn't matter who is, is elected. We are going to pray for them. They are going to be our president. And we are going to do everything in our ability to make sure that they are a success. Amen? I need a little more amens. I, you know, so I, I heard a couple of them coming from online. Uh, online so, but I need to hear them from in here as well. But here's the question that I want to to pose to you today. Do you think that any president, any person, can solve the problems that we face in America? The truth is, I don't care who it is outside of Jesus Christ. So they're not going to be able to solve the problems that we have. So I just don't look to Washington to fix America. America needs Jesus. America doesn't need more social programs, and it doesn't need higher taxes or lower taxes. It doesn't need free health care or health care on demand or anything else. America needs Christ alone. See, only Christ can bring healing. Only Christ can bring blessing. Only Christ can sustain us. Only Christ can make us a righteous nation. Christ alone. He is the only one, and he is the only one we need. So I have a question, and this is for the church. Now, if, if you're a Christian, you're here, or you're watching online, that, this is for you. If you're not a Christian, hang on, because I want to convert you. Because the greatest, the greatest group on the face of this earth is the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't care what label you put over your door, whether you're, you're a Pentecostal or a Methodist or a Baptist or a Christian Missionary Alliance, it doesn't really matter. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, if you have been born again, if you are walking with him, if you are talking with him, then, then Christ has set you free and you are part of this amazing body of Christ that's going to rule and reign with him through eternity. Now, I like that. But I have a question for the church. Okay, you ready for this? Why don't we try Jesus? You say, well, pastor, that's kind of odd. Why why are you saying that? Because the church has tried a lot of things. The church has tried a lot of programs. 
and, and we try to one-up the other church down the street. So if, if they're offering popcorn on Sunday morning, we're going to offer popcorn and a snow cone. Because, because we've tried those programs, and we've tried ministries, and, and, and nothing has really stopped the change of the flow of sin in our culture. Nothing has changed the morality of our culture. In fact, it keeps going on a downward spiral. And here we are in a moment in time when the church has this great opportunity to understand that only Christ can bring salvation. That only Christ can bring healing to the nation. That only Christ can bring restoration. That only Christ can bring social equality. And do you know whose hands that, that the Lord has put that in? Us. Isn't that amazing? So let me ask you again. Why don't we as Christians try Jesus? Well, we, we try to, to get Jesus to do our way. I'm guilty of that. I think we all are kind of guilty of that. Lord, you need to help, and you need to help exactly in these three steps. You ever do that? But we're in a moment when we need to understand that we need Christ. And here's, here's the real answer to that question, why don't we try Jesus? We don't try Jesus because we're just not desperate enough. We still think that we can do this. See, many Christians still believe that if only we have the right person in office or we pass the right laws or, or we have the right, right legislators, then we can do this on our own. So we begin to pray, Lord, make sure that person gets in that office and make sure this person gets in that office and make sure that person is in this position and make sure that person's in that position and we as the church still haven't come to the understanding that it's Christ alone. That it's not men and women in positions of authority, but it's Christ alone. We, the church, can do, cannot do God's will through our own efforts. And so what are you saying, Pastor? You just, just say, give up on everything? No, I didn't say that. What I am saying is, until we get to the place that we are desperate, because when you are desperate, you will do anything, anything it takes to get the answer. And the circumstances of life will change when the church realizes that our efforts are not effective in solving the issues of, of the soul. Society cannot change and will not change until we understand that it's Christ alone. See, drug abuse will not change until a desire to change comes from the drug addict. Abortion will not stop until they see it for what it really is. Racism will not change until they see it as a sin that needs to be repented of. And this change will only occur when, when the church becomes desperate. When desperation hits, that's when we're really going to move. You know, there's times in life when we have an epiphany. I love that word, epiphany, don't you? 
epiphany. It's a clear, certain understanding. It's when the veil is lifted. It's when the curtain is pulled back and the light comes on. That moment that we realize that no matter what we do, we're never going to be able to fix the issues at hand on our own. I pray to God that the Lord gives each and every one of his children an aha moment, an epiphany, an understanding that it's Christ alone. In Christ we stand. It's in Christ we live and we move and we have our being. So I want to bring you some good news today. I love good news. I like, I like the glass half full. In fact, I like the glass completely full and overflowing. I, I, I just, I would rather be uh, happy than sad. And when I go to the grocery store, some, a lot, most of the time the clerk will ask you, say, how's your day? And I said, fantastic. And they said, well, that's really good. And I said, yeah, I tried, a, I had a bad day once, didn't like it. It was choice. A lot of it's choice, and, and I'm not saying every day is going to be great, but there, are, there is some good news that you and I have the resources to change the world. We have the ability within our grasp to right wrongs, to change the course of this nation, to see God intervene in the affairs of man. That's within our grasp. That's within our ability. And I want to speak to you this morning on the tale of two blessings. It's found in Luke chapter 8. And it's what can happen when the church becomes desperate for God to work. What will happen when the church realizes that no matter what we do apart from Christ, it's not going to matter. But when the church, the body of Christ, realizes that it is only Christ and we let go of everything. Oh, boy, I felt that one. When we let go of our pride, when we let go of our selfishness, when we let go of our self-centeredness, when we let go of our ideology, when we let go of our pharisaical attitudes, when we let go of everything that's in us and we realize that if I don't touch Christ, this world will not change. When we get to that point of desperation that we will do whatever it takes to see a move of God in our land, that then and only then is God. God's going to show up. God's not going to show up if, we, if we're taking credit for his glory. I don't know where that one came from, but whew, I'm going to have to repent on that one. God won't show up if we're saying, God, do it our way. But when we get desperate, when we get, when we get to that place that... that, that we understand that it's Christ alone. And I want to talk to you today about two people. It's found in, in uh, Luke chapter 8. Now Jesus is, he had just been doing some miraculous things and Jesus is in, the, in, in, in his ministries in full focus and full force and he is rolling and, and he gets off of the ship and there's a crowd that meets him because they understand where he's going to go and they beat him there and they're waiting on him. 
Jesus gets off the boat and he's got this crowd around him. And the scripture says, a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell down at Jesus' feet, begging him to come home with him. I want you to look at that for a moment. Look at the man that the scripture is talking about. Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue. He is looked up to. He's respected. He is a religious leader. He was, he was one that the, that the society around him admired, respected, and looked up to. He had everything going his way. And yet, Scripture tells us that he needed Jesus. And notice what he did. Here is this religious leader. Here is this leader that has the respect of, of the people, of the respect of his community, has the dignity on his side. And he came to Jesus and he fell at his feet. He was desperate. I wonder what he had to give up. Think about this for a moment. Here's this man, uh, uh, a leader with authority, religious authority, and he cast aside his orthodoxy, and he cast aside his, 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 uh, his prestige, and he cast aside everything that, that would, would keep him from falling at Jesus' feet, and he said, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people do. I need Jesus. He gave up a lot. In that one statement, he fell prostrate before the Lord. He was saying, I can do nothing, but I am begging you. I am pleading with you. I need you. I don't need my position in this, in this culture. I don't need anything else, but I need you. Think about that for a moment. And you say, well, well, why was he doing this? Second verse says this, that his only child was dying. For those of you with children, when they're sick, or when they've been in an accident, or they've been injured, and, and you know there's nothing that in your own ability that you can do. You will do anything and everything possible to help them. This man, Jairus, was coming not for himself, but for his child, his only child. His 12-year-old daughter was, was lying sick on the verge of death. They had tried everything. They had done everything they could do, and she was not getting any better. And Jairus said, I am desperate, and I am going to the one that I have heard that can heal. I'm going to the one that I've heard that can do the miraculous. I am going to the one that is blessing others, and I am going to lay at his feet and beg him until he comes and blesses my child. I have a question for you again. Are we desperate to save our friends? 
our family? Are we desperate? Have we gotten to that place? I know, I know I'm not picking on you. This is, but I'm just simply say, asking a question. Have we gotten to the place that we realize that if our family is going to be saved and if our friends are going to be saved, if our nation's going to be turned around, we have to take a vested interest and, and divest ourselves of everything else and lay at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you are the only answer. Are we willing to go that extra mile for somebody else? Are we willing to go that extra mile to see somebody saved, to see somebody blessed, to see somebody touched, to see somebody ministered to? Are we willing to go before the Lord for somebody else on their behalf, realizing that we don't have the answers and they don't have the answers and the world doesn't have the answers and society doesn't have the answers, but Jesus Christ does have the answer? My friends, if you want to see your family saved, if you want to see your friends saved, if you want to see that which, which you can't accomplish on your own, he could not give life to his daughter, but he knew Jesus could give life. And, and we cannot give spiritual life to anybody in our family, to any of our friends, to any of our neighbors, but we know Jesus can I really believe with all my heart that Jesus is calling the church, the body of Christ, to a time of desperation where we realize that all of our church programs are not going to cut it, and all of our fancy slogans are not going to do it, and, and all of our Christianese talk is not going to persuade anybody. The only thing that's going to change anybody is when we realize that God, if you don't touch them, they're not going to be touched. If you don't heal them, they're not going to be healed. If you don't bless them, they're not going to be blessed. And I'm coming to you because I don't have the answers and I don't have the solutions, but I have all confidence that you do. I believe it's time that, that we as God's people become desperate for those around us. So the scripture says that Jesus heard him. Don't you love that? Jesus said, okay, I'm going to go with you. This is where the story gets good. I, I love a story within a story, don't you? So here's Jesus and Jairus and, and the crowd, because the crowd is going to go see, because they're spectators. There's always two kind of taters, participators and, and then and spectators. So, so, uh, so here's the, they're all going to see what Jesus is going to do. And while they were going, there was a woman in the crowd who had a, a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, without going into great detail, I just want to say that she could not bear children. She could not give life. Something was keeping her sick. For 12 years, she had spent everything she had on doctors and could not find a cure. Think about that for a moment. I, I think it's amazing that she went and tried to do everything and could not find anything that helped. For 12 years, she was supposed to be isolated and separated from her family according to the Levitical law. 
that for 12 years she was not supposed to be around her family. For 12 years she was not supposed to be in contact with others. In fact, if she came in contact with others, they were considered unclean for, for a period of time. That she was set apart, that, her, that what was going on in her life had made her different and had set her apart, that she was not really living, that she wasn't living to her full potential because of, of this ailment that was in her life. She was at her, her end, and then she heard about Jesus. Now, I don't know where she heard about him. I don't know what she knew about him. She must have heard that he healed. He, she must have heard that, that, she had, that he healed commoners because the scripture doesn't even give us her name, just a woman, a nobody. But whatever or however she heard of Christ, she believed that he could help her. She believed that he had the cure for her. And look at this. I find this really fascinating. The scripture says that she came up behind him through the crowd. Notice she wasn't really supposed to be touching anybody. And she was moving through the crowd. She was willing to break Levitical law to get to him. I wonder how many social cues we're willing to break to get to Jesus. I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, it was in a, in a church on, and on a Wednesday night, and I was kind of sitting third row, and on a Wednesday night, the pastor gave an invitation. Isn't that stupid? Everybody knows you don't give invitations on Wednesday, you give them on Sundays. Wednesday's Bible study. And yet he had enough presence of the Spirit of God that he gave an invitation. And I remember wrestling with myself, hanging on to the back of that pew. I think if you go there today, you can still see my handprints. I mean, it's just, I was wrestling with myself. What would people think? What, but you know, what really transpired in me was I had to get to a place that I did I needed God. And my desperation for God overruled everything, what people thought, what people would say, how people would perceive me. I just did not care. I had to have God. This woman is at the point, she's at her breaking point, and she hears about Jesus, and she is desperate. She is willing to break every social norm to get to him. And she goes, and she touches the fringe of his robe. And you think, well, that's just something that's in there because that's what she was looking for. But I want you to, to, to really notice, in Numbers 15, 38 through 41, the scripture, uh, the word tells us that, that when God spoke to Israel, he said, Israel, I want you on, on your cloak, on your covering, uh, that I want you to, to embroider it with a, blue, with a blue cord, and on the edges of it, I want you to put tassels, blue tassels on the hem. And those tassels represent and are to remind you 
why you are holy, why you are righteous, why you serve Yahweh. And what this woman was saying when she said, I want to touch the fringe of his robe, is I want to touch what keeps him holy, what keeps him pure, what keeps him, what gives him power, what gives him authority to heal. I want to touch his source of strength. And when she touched it, she was immediately healed. Not a day later, not a week later, not a month later, but immediately the Bible says that the bleeding stopped right then. And she knew it. And Jesus knew it. Is there something in your life? I'm not meddling. I'm just inquiring. I'm like the National Enquirer. Is there something in your life that's keeping you from living life to its fullest the way you've always wanted? Something that always pulls you back? Some attitude, some habit, some whatever it is. You can get rid of it. But it takes desperation. It takes desperation to say, I'm so tired of this that I just need to touch what makes Christ holy and my friends I will tell you the scripture tells us I'm getting ahead of myself but Jesus said I felt power come out of me that word power is dunamis the same one that they used in, on Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out what he was saying some of my spirit Move from me to somebody else. And, and if you really want to, to rid yourself of the, of the infirmities of this life, the ones that are keeping you from living life to its fullness, reach out and touch the presence of God. Reach out and touch the Spirit of God. Allow God's presence to move in power in your life, and it will transform you on the inside. Oh. All right, I'm going to try to preach here. Luke 8, 45, Jesus looked around and he said, now you got to keep in mind, here's the whole crowd around him. And this woman reaches and just touches his coat, just touches the, the hem of his garment. And he says, hey, who touched me? And everyone, everyone, that's an inclusive word. The woman that just received healing lied. They all denied it. And Peter said, I love Peter. He, he's that guy in the crowd that has to give an explanation for everything. Don't you, you know, you know that person, right? You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you have to give the, the, and it's anyway, he says, Master, this whole crowd's pressing against you. How can you say somebody touched you? Everybody's touching you. And look at Jesus' response. But Jesus told him, no, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Jesus is saying somebody deliberately touched me because somebody was desperate. Somebody was tired of living the life they're living, and they were so desperate that they had to reach out and touch me. And when they touched me, virtue, power, 
flowed from me. I want to tell you today that if you are desperate and you reach out and you touch Christ, there is going to be power that goes from him to you. There's power of transformation. There's power of healing. There's power of forgiveness. There's power of of blessing from God that will come to you when you reach out and, and grab hold of the garment of Christ. And I love this, and I know this is a play on words, but I love a play on words. He said, no, somebody, someone. Remember, we don't even know this lady. She was a no one. But when she touched Jesus, she became a someone. You want to go from a nobody to a somebody, touch Jesus. Let's go on. When the Roman realized that Jesus knew, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. She confessed. There's something about when you touch the Lord that repentance you just have to share. And, he, and notice that she didn't stand before the Lord. She fell before the Lord. And she confessed to the whole crowd. Yes, I wasn't supposed to be here. And yes, I wasn't supposed to be doing this. But I was so desperate that I had to touch you. And look what Jesus says to her about breaking social norms, about breaking protocol, about breaking all of the requirements that she was supposed to adhere to. He says, daughter. Not, how dare you. Have you ever noticed something? That if, if she was to, when she touched somebody, they were ceremonially unclean for a while. Why wasn't Jesus unclean? Because he's pure. And no sin will ever fall his way. He, what he touches, he makes pure. Nothing contaminates God. God always cleanses that which he touches. And he said, daughter, family. He said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. When you get desperate enough to reach out and touch the Lord, he's never going to deride you. He is never going to put you down. God always acknowledges faith. But her faith was built out of desperation and she was to the point that touching Jesus was the only thing that really mattered to her let's go on that was a story within the story I love that so we here we have Jairus praying in desperation for somebody else and here's a woman that's in desperation for herself notice the two things that are the same they were both desperate and while he was still speaking to her, while he was still saying, go in peace, your faith has made you whole. You're a daughter. 
a messenger comes from Jairus' home and says, your little girl is dead. There's no use troubling the master any farther. I, I, I looked at that for a long time. There's no use in troubling the teacher because your daughter is dead. Look what, what the messenger was saying. That God is so small that he can't overcome this. God can only work in the realm of our possibility. God can only perform the things that man can perform. They had put God in such a small box that when the when the girl died, that, that they said, oh, it's over, it's done. Can I, can I tell you something? When you, when you really try to reach out to the Lord, and you're trying to reach out to the Lord either for yourself or for somebody else, you're always going to hear this voice that says, it's no use. It's too far gone. Your dream is dead. Your, your family is gone. There's no hope in getting them back. They've passed the point of no return. Give up. But my friends, that is not of God. If, if a person has breath, there's hope. If a person has, has life in their body, there's hope. If, if a person is still uh, living this life, then God can touch them, then God can heal them, then God can strengthen them, can God can restore them, and God can save their soul. Don't give up. When you've got the presence of God and you've got, his, you've got him on your side, don't give up. Look what Jesus said. But when Jesus heard what, he had, ha what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just trust me. I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't know if it's for here somebody online. But if you've been praying for something for a long, long time, and it seems like it's hopeless, and it seems like that, that dream has dead, don't give up. Keep trusting the Lord because what, what this messenger didn't understand and what the people didn't understand is that death meant nothing to Christ because death, death was subject to Christ, that he could speak when he spoke to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. The reason why he had to speak Lazarus' name because if he would have said, come forth, everybody would have got it. Death is under his control. Your dream, I don't know why I'm on this, but your dream, you may think, hey, it's over, it's done, it's dead. Don't give up. Because Christ can resurrect the dead. And when they arrived at the home, Jesus wouldn't let anybody go in with the exception of Peter, James, and John, and the parents. I love that. He wasn't going to take any chances. Only those that had faith come on in. Everybody else, all you spectators, kind of stay out there. So he brings them in, and, and I love this. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. And when the crowd heard it, they laughed because they all knew she had died. And you say, well, was she really sleeping? No, she had really died. 
But what they failed to realize is that life was standing in front of them. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Life itself was standing before them, and they didn't. weren't desperate enough because they had put God in such a small box that he could not work outside of it. And, and Jesus is there saying, don't put me in a box. Just trust me. The crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, get up, my child. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. I like that. Not five minutes from then, 10 minutes, an hour and a half. But immediately, it's like, well, all right, I'm here, I'm back, let's go. And then Jesus said, hey, give her something to eat. I think she's hungry. Don't you love that? Would your praise team come? I think I'm, I think I'm going to end right there. If you would, would you stand with me? Years ago when I was a, a younger man, I would say young man, but that would make me old, and, and I haven't, uh, haven't come to terms with that yet. <laughs> when I was young, I was working in a box factory that made boxes. And, and on the floors, if you've never been in one of those factories, they have, they have roller conveyor belts with rollers, with steel rollers, so you can push the big boxes, the cartons and stuff down the rollers. And I, I was working one day, and there was one of the boxes that had gotten stuck on one of the intersections. So I stepped up to kind of give it a little push. And where there was supposed to be a little metal plate to step on, there was nothing. And when I stepped on it, the belt that was moving one way so it would push the rollers the other way caught my foot and was pulling my leg into the rollers. Now, I'm a very quiet person by nature most of the time. But when I realized that if somebody didn't turn this off, I'm going to lose my leg, I screamed like a little girl. And if you've never heard a little girl scream, it hurts my leg. But I, I sat there and wondered, now, if, if in that situation, if I would have kept in my own persona, my own MO, and if I would have saw my leg getting pulled under, if I would have said, oh, pardon me, help, help. Hey, if you could, hey, when, when you have a moment, would you come and would you turn that off? I wouldn't be standing here today. I had to get desperate. And desperation hit when I realized there was not a thing I could do to get my leg out on my own. There's good news. There's a blessing coming your way. 
I don't know if you're like Jairus that's been praying and seeking God for somebody else. Or I don't know if there's something in your life that keeps holding you back from being the man or woman of God that you've always wanted to be. But I do know this, that it doesn't matter what it is when we get desperate enough to get outside of ourselves, when we realize we don't care what people think, we don't care what people say, we have to touch Jesus. And when we get a hold of him, then and only then, in a moment of desperation, that's when he's going to bring healing. That's when he's going to bring blessing. That's when he is going to do what only he can do. Because when you're desperate, you're saying, I can't do it. And nobody else can do it. I'm only coming to you for you're the only source of help. I think there's somebody here today that, that needs to put their family there and say, God, I can't restore my family, but you can. I can't bring healing. I can't bring change of mind and heart, but you can. I wonder if we could just call on God for a moment. And, and as we sing this song, what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus that all of heaven and earth bow Acts 4.12, neither there's salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Healing comes through that name. Grace comes through that name. Mercy comes through that name. Restoration comes through that name. Salvation comes through that name. Deliverance comes through that name. The miraculous comes through that name. Hearing, real hearing comes through that name. Sight comes through that name. Anything and everything that is good and noble and worthy comes through the name of Jesus. Let's lay aside everything else and call on can we do that? Let's, let's worship the Lord as they sing and then, then I'll come back up and close.